afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Conservative Women's Network. Resuming after a two-year uh, shutdown because of Wuhan Chinese COVID virus. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm Michelle Easton, president of the Claire Booth Luce Center for Conservative Women, and we're delighted to host CWN here in our office for the first time. This is our new expanded, renovated headquarters, and I want to thank you all for coming today. Special thank you to the Heritage Foundation, um, for, and today's co-host went, went to Heritage by mistake, Katie Gorka, but she'll be here soon. Um, but I, we also have from Heritage Cora Wack, who is the assistant to Bridget Wagner, who is the vice president that we've worked with for many years on this now. We've actually we've done this for 20 years with Heritage, then we had the two-year stop for COVID. Um, first with Becky Norton Dunlop, who was vice president, now with Bridget Wagner, and it's been a wonderful partnership between our two organizations. And we're looking forward to another 20 years. And thanks to you all for coming today and to those watching on the videotape. We always get a lot of people who come on the website and watch it afterwards, and Heritage as well. We'll get, we'll get the Heritage. I want to mention that the next CWN will also be here on April 8th. Um, and we're probably going to talk about energy and rising gas prices. Have you filled your gas tank lately? Yeah. My goodness, there's a lot of policy uh, mistakes by uh, this administration and others that are contributing to what you're paying, and, and it's, on, yeah. it's on the way up as well. So today we're delighted to hear from Nicole Neely, who will give her take on the current craziness in our schools and give us some ideas uh, uh, what we can do to make a difference. Nicole is the president and founder of Parents Defending Education, a nonpartisan, nonprofit national organization giving parents the resources and the support they need to advocate for their children's education. Since its launch last year, Parents Defending Education has broken dozens of really big education-related stories from coast to coast, including the one about the National School Boards Association letter vilifying American parents. Remember, you're all terrorists, right? Yeah. <laughs> She's also filed over 300 public records requests with districts around the country. you got to find out what they're really doing through these uh, legal requests. And submitted eight Office of Civil Rights uh, uh, Division at the Department of Education complaints on racial discrimination, which surprisingly, the Biden administration is not really interested in investigating, are they? <laughs> and Nicole and her organization have helped over 22,000 parents submit comments to the Federal Register that makes a difference in the policy formulation and has two, two open lawsuits going, one in New York State and one just settled in federal court. Prior to launching Parents Defending Education, Nicole created Speech First, so that's when I first met her. You came here and we sat and talked about it, a very important organization that defends college students' free speech rights through litigation and other means. She's also worked at the Franklin Center for Government, the Independent Women's Forum, and at Cato. Um, in addition, she's worked in the private sector, both a crisis communications firm and a public opinion firm. She earned a bachelor's degree in political science from the University of Illinois, Midwest, good place, <laughs> and a master's of public policy from Pepperdine University School of Public Policy. She's married for 11 years. She has two children, seven and eight. And when I asked her what her hobbies were, she said, I don't have any hobbies. I just work all the time. <laughs> I can relate to this. This is the life of working mothers. 
So please join me now in welcoming to the Pacific <coughs> Women's Network, Nicole Neal. So much, Michelle. This is such an honor because when I first moved to DC, I went to these events at the Heritage Foundation. So this is like, I mean, mind blowing for me to be up <laughs> among. I mean, you have such luminaries who speak. So, including. I mean, my goodness. Um, but I'm such a fan. So this is this is really this is really exciting. Um, as Michelle said, um, I got to know her when I was working on Speech First, which I started in 2017. Um, Speech First sues public universities. We were only the bad guy. Um, and so we have, over the four years it's been around, sued six universities. Actually, they filed, they just filed the seventh one um, about two weeks ago. Um, and so I sued my alma mater, University of Illinois, as well as my husband's, University of Texas. They do still ask you for money after you sue them, which makes it very <laughs> I know how much money you spend on Gibson Dunn. You're not getting a dollar. Um, but, um, you know, it was, it's, it's been so much fun to fall into the education sphere because when I worked at Cato, when I first started on Washington, I did foreign policy, I did tech stuff, and I always said, oh, you know, education, school choice, fine, fine. And then, you know, I had kids, and it suddenly became very real for me. Um, and so just watching what's happened on universities, one thing that really struck me when I was working in the university setting was how many students get to campus and they have no understanding of the First Amendment whatsoever because they've never received a proper civics education. If the first time you hear about the First Amendment is, this is why Richard Spencer can come to campus, well, you're not going to think it's the best thing in the world because you've yeah. never learned. This is how disenfranchised groups throughout history have been able to change people's minds. It's how women, you know, suffragists were able to earn the right to vote. It's how we defeated Jim Crow. They don't know the beauty, the majesty of this. This is Martin Luther King was imprisoned because he, you know, he was, he, he wrote letters from a Birmingham jail because he violated a gag order. I mean, these are really important things that our, our children are not learning, which really, I mean, troubled me. Um, and then for me, when I started working on the parents defending education thing, sort of percolating my mind, um, in 2022, when schools shut down. Um, my husband, who I know Mike knows, um, worked at the Institute for Justice for 17 years. He was a constitutional litigator. Um, he worked on the, the Heller gun case, worked in the Kelo case, and he did a lot of school choice litigation. And so when schools shut down in March of 2020, I'm, I'm from Chicago originally, if you can't tell from my accent, um, we, um, we started getting texts and you know, calls from our friends saying, you know, I don't want the schools to shut down. How do I make them listen to me? It feels like they don't really care what we think. And we would sit in the backyard with the beer and say, ah, of course they don't care. But it was really kind of, it was eye-opening for me to, for, you know, for, to realize that so many people didn't know how disenfranchised they were from the system. They assumed that the system worked alongside them, not against them. And so that was, I thought, all right, that's an interesting data point. My kids were in a Montessori preschool, so we didn't have any problems at the time. But I just, I thought, okay, that's really interesting. <coughs> um, and then, obviously, you know, schools were shut down, and we, started to hear, we all started to hear horror stories from our friends about, you know, Zoom classrooms were now in your living room. And during Zoom school, I think a lot of parents were justifiably horrified what they saw, what they heard, what their children were learning or were not learning. Um, and then that all kicked into overdrive after the George Floyd murder. Um, and we saw districts after, you know, around the country sending these all district emails, we are systemically racist, we are committed to being an anti-racist institution. <coughs> what the heck is going on? I mean, when I grew up, I remember the Gulf War during the 9-11. I mean, schools didn't send out messages about these things. And so suddenly they were putting themselves into really highly politically charged issues. And so I think that, that was kind of a, a weird wake-up call for people. Um, and for me, the thing that really flipped the switch when I said I have to start a new organization was um, in, the sum, in July 2020, the Wall Street Journal wrote a profile of a superintendent um, in a district where I grew up in Evanston, Illinois, where Northwestern is based. And he said he was going to allow black and brown children back for in-person education <coughs> before white children in the name of anti-racism. Mm. And I started screaming at my computer. I was like, ah, you can't do that. That's unconstitutional. 
Um, and I went to a friend and I said, I want to do speech first for K-12. I want to sue these guys. How dare they? And he said, yep, love it, great, we're in. But um, I think part of the problem is nobody knows this stuff is unconstitutional. I think you need to start from a different place. And I thought, that can't be right. I mean, I, again, I'm married to a constitutional lawyer. We have dinner parties where we talk about the 14th Amendment. My life is super boring. But, um, you know, that there has to be resources out there. Um, and so I started looking and I thought, you know what, actually, a lot of the information that's out there about your rights in school, it's in the higher ed setting. You think about the First Amendment, it's campus free speech. You think about Title IX, it's the kangaroo courts and due process on college campuses. You don't think about these things in a K-12 setting. And I know, I mean, obviously in Loudoun, I mean, there's yeah. been this horrific Title IX incident, right? I mean, yeah. we are watching districts sweep things under the rug, not upholding their obligations under the law. And so I thought, all right, well, if there's really kind of nothing out there, I guess I have to make this stuff. And so we started creating resources, just very, very straightforward things. I mean, I have always thought of, when I worked at Cato, I always thought of my job as translating wonk into English, and then when I did speech first, I thought of it as translating lawyer into English. I mean, yeah. you know, my, my job, you know, I don't want to reach the Acela corridor. It's, I, I think of my target audience as Bob in Omaha, who, you yeah. know, works a nine-to-five job, and is seeing these handouts, and is hearing these lessons, and thinking, I don't really like this, but yeah. I don't really know why. I kind of have a gut feeling. I don't know what to do about it. It's very fraught. If you mm -hmm. speak out and you say the wrong thing, when you, you know, talk to the teacher, when you get at your school board, you're the neighborhood QAnon person for all time. Nobody wants to be that, right? And so people really, for the most part, just kept their mouths shut because districts wanted them to, right? I mean, they bet there were very strong signals. You, you, this is not your place. You keep your mouth shut. And so people were scared. So, okay, well, let's empower people. Um, I'm a child of the 80s, and so I grew up watching, I have brothers, um, G.I. Joe cartoons. And there was always this thing at the end. It was like, you know, a life lesson. Don't play with down power lines or something. Um, but it was it was always um, saying was knowing is half the battle. And I thought, that's it. Knowing is half the battle. Let's teach parents what their rights are so they know where the red lines are drawn. Yeah. So if and when those lines are crossed, and unfortunately now it's really more a matter of when than if, they know that something has to happen. And so we started just to put together very, very straightforward guides. What is Title VI? What is Title IX? What is the First Amendment? Um, you send your kid to a private school. What are your rights there? It's super different because most private schools don't actually receive federal or state funding. And so your remedies are different. Um, and then even, I mean, how do you get smart about these issues? There's so much information out there. What is Bob in Omaha going to, you know, what's he going to read? He's not yeah. going to sort through 45 pages of new discourses. I mean, I love James Lindsay, but it's a little bit dense, right? And so what are the best articles that are out there so people can get smart quickly on these issues? Um, we want to make it easy for people. You know, when we want to meet them where they are, they don't know who Barry Weiss is. They don't run on Twitter all day. They're just trying to get on with their lives and, like, not get divorced or have a nervous breakdown after two years of a pandemic, right? I mean, and so that's we were trying to just meet people where they were. And then also, I mean, we kept in mind social media throttling, right? I mean, you know, why would we spend a bunch of money trying to advertise on Facebook when they would just turn around and silence us? Um, and so we tried to build up our email list, working with conservative partners to meet people where they are, get, meet them in their pocket. You know, you're sitting on the side of your son's baseball game, you could, you could get smart about things quickly. Um, and so that, that was kind of where we started to build things out from. As I was kind of building all of this infrastructure out, um, I got connected with a woman who some of you may have heard of, Asra Nomani, um, a local hero in Northern Virginia. And um, Asra had become, she calls herself an accidental activist. Um, because she was very involved in the fight at Thomas Jefferson High School, the magnet school in Northern Virginia. Um, and she figured out, you know, when they were trying to change all the admissions process, that thank goodness our great new governor and our attorney general are rolling back as we speak, mm -hmm. um, that, um, you know, that there was significant discrimination taking place. I mean, the things that their school, the superintendent, the admissions people were saying about, you know, these Asian families, these immigrant families needing to check their privilege, she was outraged. Asra is an Indian-American Muslim single mother immigrant. 
Um, and these are the people who have, have to check their privilege. I mean, it's, it's appalling the kinds of things that you know, were being done against us as, you know, as, as Americans with our tax dollars, you know, against our will. And so I got plugged in with Asra. She is a former Wall Street Journal investigative reporter. Um, and so her heart was really in, like, let's dig into this stuff. And because she had a really significant Twitter profile, she had people who, as she was writing about these things, would reach out to her with tips. And so she initially said, well, I want to start a news outlet about education. It's like, the world does not need another education news outlet. But I think there's something here. And having worked in this, in this space for, and at this point, 15 years, I thought, I mean, my heart is in school choice. My husband has litigated school choice cases. And so I thought, I think there's a way to kind of overlay this. And so we decided to put all of our tips together on a map because I wanted to show people that this is not just a California and a Manhattan problem. This is an everywhere problem. This is in red states. This is in purple states. This is in blue states. These are in public schools and private schools and parochial schools. This is everywhere. And once you know about it, then you can do something about it. But we want to give our friends air cover for this because, again, it's scary. You know, people don't Race has always been the third rail of American politics, and now we're moving into a whole gender issue. Mm -hmm. uh, people are scared to talk about these things, but once you can say, this is the handout that, that fifth graders are getting, this is what we're teaching kindergartners, then it does give people a little bit of, <coughs> a little bit of confidence to step up. Yeah. So we, we created this to expose all the bad deeds that are taking place. And then I thought, you know what, we don't solve this issue by, you know, on Facebook or Twitter. Um, and frankly, like, I mean, my husband works at Cato, sorry to make fun of them, but like, you know, this war is also not going to be won by white papers either. Yeah. We have to get off the sidelines and do something about it. But what does that mean? I think, you know, and again, thinking about Bob in Omaha, he doesn't know what to do. I mean, I think so many of us in Washington and New York, our default setting is, well, I'll pitch TV, I'll pitch radio, you know, we, while well, right enough then. Normal people don't think that way. Um, and so we wanted just to create very basic engagement guides. Um, Asra and our coworker Marissa wrote guides on how to start your own parent organization, taking the lessons that they learned from getting the Coalition for TJ off the ground. They said, we use Telegram as our chat app instead of WhatsApp because WhatsApp has a limit to the number of people you can put in a group. I mean, they, you know, they can kind of learn lessons along the way. I thought, well, that's really useful information. Um, most people don't think about the difference between a C3 and a C4 and a PAC state charitable solicitation registrations. I mean, kind of all this stuff that is, it's very kind of ivory tower. Um, but how do we get people off the sidelines and get involved? And I mean, again, we're at a very fraught moment in time. And so getting involved can mean different things to different people. And that's okay. Um, we have people who send us tips to our tip line. We have a tip line where we receive about 100 to 200 tips a week still since we launched in March. Um, Almost all of those are anonymous. That's doing something. Um, because Bob in Omaha doesn't know how to get something to Fox News or Tucker Carlson, but we do. We can shine a light on it. We can get that extra attention. We can, we can kind of drive that accountability. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that's one thing we can do. But also, I mean, we have guides on how to write a letter to the editor, how to file an OCR complaint, how to file, um, you know, how to run for school board, um, questions to ask your teacher so you don't go in and have your hot mic moment. Yeah. Um, and my coworkers are on the phone or emailing with parents all day, every day talking them through things. And it's not, you know, we're not trying to push people into doing things that they're uncomfortable with. It's we're trying to meet them where they are because, I mean, how you fight and what the problems are are different in Tulsa versus Taos. And so this is not a one-size-fits-all solution. But we want people to feel that they can do something, that they have a little bit of ownership over this process. Um, we decided very on that we didn't want to have chapters. Um, I've been in Washington for long enough that I've seen groups with chapters fizzle out. We, you know, Michelle and I have seen campus activism, right? And you see how the different leadership turnover really affects these organizations. But at the end of the day, I don't want people to think, well, Nikki and DC will fix this. I want people to feel that they have skin in the game. And also, I mean, we also know that state legislators and local officials 
pay more attention when it's somebody from their state, when it's their constituents, when it's someone from their neighborhood, instead of being the you know, terrifying conservatives from, from the Beltway. Um, so we, we encourage people to start their own parent groups. I mean, some of these are just, it's, it's moms with a close Facebook group, just sharing information and articles back and forth. You know, they're not all formal organizations, but um, in the past two years, we, we now work with almost 250 groups across the country that have sprung up specifically to work on politics in school. Not on COVID-related things, not on school choice, specifically just on politics. I mean, people are really coming out of the woodwork, which is so fascinating. And they have this confidence, and they find their tribe. I mean, and we have seen this used to great effect, obviously, in Virginia, where you know, there's terrific activism in Loudoun, there's terrific activism in Fairfax, and people were able to lean on each other. I mean, it is, and I'm sure some of you have been involved in these issues. You know it's hard, right? I mean, you get the hate mail, and you get the nasty comments publicly. Um, that's unpleasant, and so sometimes, you know, you want to lean out. But if you have a couple other people, then they can lean in for you. It's, it's, and, and so that, that idea of kind of finding your tribe is something we really encourage people to do. Um, and what is so interesting to me is, I mean, as we have seen in Virginia and we are seeing across the country, the kinds of people who care about this issue, this is not like a right-wing Tea Party issue. Yeah. Um, I mean, we have first-generation Americans who come to us. We have teachers who come to us. I mean, probably 10% of what we get are people who say, I'm a lifelong Democrat, but I hate this stuff. I got an email this morning from somebody saying, I have been a gay and lesbian activist for 20 years, and this transgender stuff is out of control. Yeah. Um, it's fascinating to me, I mean, the kinds of unusual coalitions that are being formed, because people are just so fed up. Um, and so we, you know, we want to empower these people, we want to plug them in together, because they've never heard of the Heritage Foundation, they've never heard of the State Policy Network, but there is this terrific network of people that we can plug you into, because guess what? If they've taken over your schools, what do you think they're doing in your city? What do you think they're doing in your state? What do you think the federal government's doing with your money? I mean, there are so many different iterations of this. Um, and so we want to give these people a voice. Um, and I do feel, I mean, again, with so many of our tips coming in and people wanting to be anonymous, we do want to give a voice to the voiceless. Um, because we have found that as people have, they send us things and we'll, we'll let them know when, when, it, when it goes out, they'll share it in their Facebook group or their patch.com. And then we have other people from those neighborhoods come out to us and say that that's not the only thing that's going on. Yeah. That was actually how we were able to build our lawsuit against Wellesley, Massachusetts. Um, we got a tip that the school had, had maintained racially segregated affinity groups. Affinity groups are this new thing where we'll have all the Asian kids meet together, we'll have all the black kids meet together. Um, but Wellesley actually, they explicitly said, if you are white, do not attend. And mm -hmm. Judicial Watch filed, so I filed an OCR complaint, again, with the Department of Education, which they could not get off their desk fast enough. Yeah. Um, and all these other people from the town started reaching out to us, and they, they passed on other tips and other tips. Judicial Watch filed a FOIA, and they found that they'd also turned away a, a teacher from the event. The school's, um, or the, the district's director of diversity lamented that she could not sort students by race. They didn't have details in that, because she wanted to specifically invite people based on their skin color. Yeah. Um, and so we, we, we you know, pulled all this together, filed a lawsuit. Um, as Michelle said, we're structured as a membership association, so when we sue, it's parents defending education versus a district instead of being Nikki Michelle versus a district. Yeah. Um, people are very scared to have their names involved in this, and so that anonymity is very important. And one thing that we have found in the higher ed setting also is that you know universities will just wait students out. Um, the lawyers I work with are the lawyers that are doing the Harvard affirmative action case, and that case was initially filed in 2014. It's only getting to the Supreme Court this year. Um, if that was just an individual student, I mean. Unless you have somebody who is a super duper 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 senior, um, they're gone. You know, and yeah. schools bank on that. They it's they they leverage this thing called standing. If you're not being harmed anymore, then the lawsuit's thrown out. Yeah. As an association, as long as we always have a student, or in this case, you know, families that are enrolled in the district, our harm is ongoing. So our cases can go on indefinitely. Um, 
And so um, we're able to do the anonymity. We're able to do kind of get around this whole standing trap. Um, but really, you know, nail these people on what they are doing. Um, and because so many of them are, are just, they're so used to working and operating with impunity behind the scenes. Um, one thing that fascinated me was, I mean, as I got into this, you know, having worked in kind of general policy for a long time and then working in higher ed, I always knew that the, the public school system wasn't great. I always knew that the teachers unions were bad. But I did not realize that the education system was as captured as it is. I mean, I would never have thought that the National School Board Association was evil. I would never have thought that the Superintendent Association, the math teachers, the all my, like, it's, you name it, and they're out there using your tax dollars against you, advocating for these really destructive policies. About two weeks ago, it was uh, National School Counselor Week. We did a little bit of digging into their website. The National School Counselors, as well as the National School Nurses Association, as well as the National School Psychologists Association, they're all the gender affirmation train. Um, and this is, I mean, when we started Speech for Speech First, PDE last year, almost everything that we got in was related to race. Um, this year, probably 30 or 40% of what we get in these days is related to gender identity. Um, schools pushing extremely toxic, age-inappropriate, highly controversial mm -hmm. materials on children, um, starting as early, I mean, kindergarten, pre-K. And people are horrified by this. I mean, we're seeing districts across the country maintaining policies where, um, I think there was one in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, they said um, parents do not have a right to know their child's gender identity. There are districts that have two separate sets of medical records. There are, in California, they're referring kids to medical clinics for hormone therapy without parental consent and really appalling things that are taking place. And so, I mean, we think back to what happened in Virginia. Uh, you know, I mean, Terry McCall is saying well, parents don't, you know, have the right to be involved. I saw so many people call it a gaffe. I think this is not a gaffe. I mean, you were, this is, you just let the mask slip because there are so many people in this world who think that, you know, we're the experts. We know better than you do. Um, we saw the Michigan Democratic Party put up a Facebook post and then take it down really quickly once, they, once it was screenshotted, um, that they said, you know, public schools are for public education and, you know, and, and for the public good. Who determines what the public good is? They do. Um, and no, and that's why, I mean, Oscar calls it the mama bear revolution, right? These are all these people who have come out of the woodwork for the first time. I mean, so many of these people, I say it's like, it's their first rodeo. They're not professionals, but they have been driven out and motivated by this attack on the family, attack on their, you know, on, on this relationship between parent and child. I think back to when I was growing up, and it was very, and we worked together. Maybe I got in trouble once in a while. Um, and the, you know, the, the principal would call me in, and they would try to work, you know, talk to my mom. How do we, let me get Nikki back on track, you know, let's work together, let's come up with a plan. But now we see schools where it's a very adversarial relationship. We're working against the family. Um, and that's, that's deeply troubling. I mean, you know, there's, um, Katie and I were at a meeting on Tuesday about gender issues, and there's a, a terrific woman in Rhode Island named Nicole Solas, and she was just curious about what the curriculum was. And she said, you know, can I get a copy of it? Just curious about some of these things. They said, file a public records request. Um, and, I mean, how dismissive that is, right? I mean, we all know, it doesn't matter what the letter is next to your name, children do better when parents are involved, period. Yes. And they're keeping us away. They're holding us at arm's length. Um, I'm still not able to go into my children's elementary school because of COVID. Um, and so, you know, how am I able to help to supplement reading? You know, if, you were, if I knew you were doing a lesson on this thing, maybe, we, you know, we'd have a special dinner about it. We could watch a movie about it. I want to help. But they don't want us involved. They don't want us to help. Um, and that is, you know, that, that has really kind of brought up this kind of like animalistic instinct. You know, we yeah. want to protect our, youth, our young. Um, and it was, to me, the question was, what, what would happen? I mean, is this, is this move in, is this, is, does it have staying power? I mean... Many of us saw the Tea Party movement fizzle out years ago. 
And that's something that keeps me up at night. How do we keep this from fizzling out? How do we keep this kind of enthusiasm and energy from fizzling out? Um, and I think you know the, the good news, the bad news is, the bad guys are not going to stop overreaching on this issue. Um, they're not going to, right? There's so much money wrapped up in this. Um, one uh, report that Oscar released last year was about the diversity consultants that are in, you know, spending, again, spending our tax dollars coming in as equity consultants, diversity consultants. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, they'll, they'll come and they'll do an equity audit like we saw in, in Loudoun County. Um, 100% of the time, you're always, you're always evil, you're always racist. I mean, m my father's a Buddhist. At least with Buddhism, you can achieve enlightenment. But with diversity <laughs> stuff, never, you can't. Um, but their solution then is always pay me and hire us in perpetuity, and then you'll be a little bit less awful. Yeah. Um, it's a shakedown. I mean, we have to call it out for what it is. Asra filed hundreds of public records requests, and we identified over 125 consultants and counting operating in hundreds of districts across the country, making millions of dollars a year, sowing division, pushing hatred. Um, and in many cases, you know, they're not vetted, they're not background checked. I mean, for me to even be a room mother, I have to go through fingerprinting and background check. If you want to install a toilet in a public school, you have to go through a whole RFP process and show that it works. Not with these guys. I mean, it's, there's no oversight of this industry. And as I call myself a recovering libertarian, I'm generally averse to regulation, but I mean, this is the Wild West, what these people are doing. Mm -hmm. um, and so there is, you know, there's so much bad out there, but, and it, it, you know, we don't want to overwhelm people, because there are, I mean, there are horror stories. Again, we have so many tips coming in from across the country. But I guess the, the good news is the cavalry is coming. I mean, you look at the polling on all of these issues. Um, it crosses racial lines. It crosses political lines. Um, you know, it crosses sex lines. I mean, this is people are mad about this, and they're not going away. Um, you know, when schools reopened in September, I thought, well, is this going to be kind of an out of sight, out of mind issue? Um, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, like that was a nightmare, but like we're moving on. Let's get on with our lives. And we found that if anything, parents were more hysterical, more worked up in September than they were when schools were shut down, even because <laughs> now they had no idea. Yeah. Um, and they were, yeah, they were very much, you know, dismissed, told to stay away. Um, these elected officials, school board members, you know, who are saying, I don't work for you, yeah. uh, you know, they're not going away. And so, you know, there, there is, we have a lot of work to do, like, don't get me wrong, but um, these, you know, parents are fired up and, and we're not going away. And so I think there is, at the end of the day, there is tremendous cause for hope. Um, and yeah. so I look forward to working with all of you to affect a lot of change because there's, there's a lot of work to be done. Um, but with that, I guess, I look forward to having a great conversation with you. Thank you. Thank you. Here, um, they have to come up and speak oh, into the mic. Yeah. Uh, if you don't mind, we uh, we have a wired mic for now. If you if you wouldn't mind coming. Let me ask first. Yeah. Oh, because I, I know some of these people here know us, but I don't think everybody who watched this will know. Give us the details of an equity audit and what they're actually doing to our children then. Sure. Yeah. So they'll come in. It's um, it's it's kind of like a rigged it's a rigged system, right? They'll come in. They'll look at statistics and say, well, you're, you're disciplining children at different rates, um, and they'll say, well, it's, you're, obviously this is a sign that you're racist. Well, I mean, it's not necessarily, and you know, that's, we see all of the kind of the racial overlay in policies. There are lots of other reasons for disparities in our education system, um, and saying that everything is related to race, I think, actually does a tremendous disservice to our children and to our education policies, because, you know, there are socioeconomic factors, there are family factors. Um, but why do we want to, I mean, looking at kind of like the war on merit, the war on excellence, you know, and TJ and stuff, why is the answer always to hold people down? Why yes. is it never to, you know, provide remedial programs yeah. to lift people up? Yes. Um, and so, um, but, the, but with the equity audits, yeah, they'll come in and they'll, again, it's, it's a predetermined conclusion. So they'll, they'll run through, they'll interview yeah. people, 
Um, we see a lot of the surveys that are, that are being done in schools through companies like Panorama Education. They're loaded questions. I worked as a pollster. I mean, you know, you know how you set questions up. You know, um, do you do you feel that people treat you badly based on your skin color? I mean, how is a kid supposed to answer that, right? It's yeah. not, these are not neutrally worded, um, and that's I think a, a big concern for a lot of parents is well. You ask these questions that are loaded, you get the answer you want, and then it gives you cover to do more spending and more programming. Um, where you're not, you're not actually evaluating facts in the ground and asking real probing questions. And at the end of the day, I mean, what are the problems you want to solve? Um, and is this the best way to go about it? And so I think, you know, again, if, if you were to go in and, and propose some other program, you'd have to submit an RFP, there'd be metrics, did we meet this at the end of the year? None of these things are part of the whole equity audit process. Um, and again, there, I mean, there's six, five, six, seven figure contracts, is that money better spent on doing other things in our schools to, to lift children up and to give children greater education opportunities? I mean, our children have faced such astonishing learning loss over the past two years. Um, and, and that compounds you know, already, frankly, very, very low proficiency levels in many, many districts. We're not addressing that, right? I mean, today is actually International SEL Day. SEL stands for Social Emotional Learning. Um, this is just a, kind of another, it's the Trojan horse for getting a lot of these policies into schools because it's cover for um, let's get inside your child's head. Um, and so you know, that's a tremendous concern as well because look, seven hours a day with my child. Um, I want my child to read, I want my child to write, I want my child to be, you know, learn math. Um, but you're not doing that because half the day is spent on emotional and bullying and gender issues. And my child is, my children are not thriving in that environment. And you know, mo most other people aren't. And then when you start to tell people, you know, children to identify themselves based on immutable characteristics, on sex, on race, um, yeah, kids will start to, you know, like, will internalize that and they'll start to feel bad about themselves and they'll start to view and you know, treat others accordingly. Um, that's not the way that we heal this country. That's the way that we destroy this country. Um, and so it's, it's a tremendous concern because the equity audits are just, it's a cover for inserting a lot of these programming. And they say it's evidence-based and statistic-based, but I mean, they're goosing the numbers and I think it's, you know, we have to call them on that. If you would uh, give your name and affiliation and then anybody else who has a question, come get the mic. Okay. I'm Mike Doherty. Um, I'm affiliated with the Justice Society, which I founded. <laughs> um, my question, can you give a little bit of an overview about the Thomas Jefferson litigation, the turning point that turned into a win for us, and how you think that's going to reverberate moving forward? Sure. Um, so this, um, you know, I mean, we have like experts in the room. I'm just, I'm just like a surrogate for my coworkers who are that's involved with the coalition for TJ. Um, so the, um, yeah, the, the admissions for Thomas Jefferson, which is, has been considered the number one high school in the country, magnet school, very difficult to test into, rigorous academic application process. Uh, it was when I was in Great Wolf Lodge with my kids last weekend with a friend, and she said, under, under the current, like what the, what the district Fairfax tried to change it to, she said, I would have qualified for it. I was in the top 1.5%. She said, I should not have been at Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> um, but Thomas Jefferson um, was determined by the powers that be in Fairfax County to have the wrong racial makeup. There were too many Asians. That's what we're seeing in New York City right now. It's part of our litigation against New York City, um, that it's, it's the wrong mix of people. It's not representative of the county. Um, again, I mean, this is, it's, it's, it's race blind. It's merit based in terms of applications. You have to have taken an, a, set, a, set, uh, a set of courses. You have to have had a certain GPA. Um, once you sort of make it past the initial screening process, then there's an essay, there's a test, um, and uh, there are people who work very, very hard to get in. I mean, there is a goal for this, and there's a reason why Im many immigrant families, you know, make an effort to get in. Mm -hmm. um, but again, Fairfax County um, School Board felt that it was the wrong racial mix, and so they wanted to 
change that. Um, and through the litigation, the, a, a group of parents, well, they, they, they forced through a bunch of changes, very much behind, you know, under cover of darkness, um, all of which came out in the course of discovery, the kind of emails back and forth between the district and the board members, the text messages saying, oh, you know, wow, this is really hurting Asians, LOL. Um, I mean, really kind of grotesque things. They knew what they were doing, and they were trying to figure out how do we weight certain characteristics, just like we saw at Harvard, right? I mean, moving to a holistic, to a kind of personality-based evaluation of students so that we can change, change the mix of students that are in. Um, the group of parents banded together. They formed the Coalition for TJ. Um, and then they were represented by a nonprofit organization called Pacific Legal Foundation um, that sued them in federal court on um, alleging racial discrimination. Um, about two weeks ago, they got a decision from the district court, Claude Hilton, in the Eastern District of Virginia, who said that, yes, um, there was racial animus that went into the decision-making process. Um, and they, they, he granted them what is called a preliminary injunction, which said, you can't use this process that they used for the 2021-22 school year um, going forward. And he had kind of signaled, even during kind of the, the, the arguments, he said, do you have a backup plan for this if this whole thing falls through? And they were like, no, you know, they were so confident in themselves. Um, so they now, I, I just got a text when I was on the way over here that the district applied for a stay. They wanted to kind of overturn the judge's orders to, to keep doing because now they're trying to admit next year's class. Um, keep going back to what they were doing. And the judge said, no. I mean, like, what? No. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it keep, with, with, that, with that in mind and then keeping an eye on what's going to happen in the Supreme Court in October with Harvard, um, you know, there have been... People have tried to be a little too cute, right? You know, we're, we're trying to adjust, affect race without really affecting race. And I mean, I think when, um, was it the Grutter decision when Justice O'Connor wrote that it was, you know, 25 years? It's been more than 25 years. And if anything, I mean, we, Speech First filed an amicus brief, we're going to do another one for the Harvard one, uh, showing that, you know, that the whole intention of, of allowing these sort of like this kind of gamesmanship was to increase diversity on campus. You know, fine, you might have diversity of skin color, but have you increased diversity of thought whatsoever? No. I mean, you look at polling from FIRE, from you know, the Knight Foundation, from Pew, people are chilled. Students are terrified. You know, there is an on-campus orthodoxy, and the same thing is happening in our K-12 schools. Um, and so it was the Thomas Jefferson, it was, it was a terrific victory, and you know, kind of a, like a localized battle, but this, this war is going to continue because it's not just TJ, and it's not just um, Harvard. It's, I mean, we saw this in Boston, Boston Latin, another terrific, highly, highly um, competitive uh, school they tried to change their admissions process, again, to knock out Asians. Um, the Lowell School in San Francisco, that was part of the reason that the San Francisco School Board was recalled. Um, that was not a big Republican issue, right? That's not a Republican town. Um, you know, these, but again, it's, it's, um, it's immigrant families who say, you know, I moved to this town so I could get my kid, my, my child could try to get into this school. What are you doing? When we try and tear people down and, you know, get rid of, I mean, this is something that um, Northam did, and that you know, if, if we had government golfs, definitely would would have, um, you know, eliminating advanced math classes in the name yes. of equity, right? If if mm -hmm. the if, we, if the wrong people are special, then no one can be special. Yeah, that is our country will not compete in a global marketplace with that mindset. Mm -hmm. um, again, we have to we have to try and lift people up and figure out how do we fill in the gaps, not how do we hold everybody down so you're all at the same level. Questions? Anybody else? Don't be shy. Just, Hi, I'm Julie Valentine. I work for Hillsdale College. Um, I'm concerned because you're, you're right. We don't want to bring people down so everyone is equal. But how? What programs do we have to lift people up? Because there is a disparate impact on um, people who have lower socioeconomic status. They can't. They can't afford to send their kids to private school. They can't pull their kids out and move to a different county. So what do we right. do for them? Yeah, I mean, I think um, you know, one one thing that would be very helpful for a lot of people would be school choice. I mean, not trapping people by their zip code in failing schools. 
Um, and so that I think that's one, one thing that can help. Um, I always tell people, I think school choice has to be paired with transparency. Because I could move my kid. I mean, we, we have the money to put our kid in a private school, but what if I put them in and it's even worse than the first place they were? You know, that, that's kind of worthless. And if you have transparency without having the choice, I mean, okay, I know that my school stinks, and I know that school is better, but I don't have the money to move or do anything about it. And so I think those, in my mind, those, that has to be kind of the one-two punch. Um, it's not illegal, it's not unconstitutional to target programs based on socioeconomic status. It is illegal to target programs based on race. And I think that's what we've seen schools do. Um, and so, you know, we can help people based on a number of factors, but we can't say, okay, the Asian kids get this special program and the black kids get that special program. And so we have to discourage, um, at least, you know, with our public tax dollars, organizations and schools from doing things like that. Um, and if private foundations and private charities want to do programs based on racing, that's, that's their prerogative. And certainly we see many of them that do. But it's, it's when it's being done with our tax dollars, that's when it starts to become uh, unconstitutional. <laughs> Donna Wadowski, former law enforcement, um, longtime Virginia resident. Youngkin, um, I think it was in the paper yesterday, had every superintendent of public schools in the state of Virginia um, question his equity program. Well, he he dismissed all the equity inclusion uh, staff on the by the Secretary of Education, right? Mm -hmm. What can they do, what can a superintendent do other than voice a complaint? Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I, I saw that and I was talking to some coworkers about it because, I mean, there is something that smells a little bit fishy about it um, yeah. because, you know, look what we saw with the National School Board Association, yeah. they put out this myth, this, this horrific memo mm -hmm. calling for federal intervention and I asked all the state chapters. I personally emailed all, all of the state chapters and I said, did you sign off on this? And they all were like, no. Um, <laughs> and we think this is a local issue, this is a state issue, this is not a federal issue. And so I wonder if there's an element of some of this being sent out by the Virginia Superintendent Association without yeah. everyone buying it. And so okay. I was talking to a coworker, I was like, do I want to FOIA 119 of them? Yeah. Really? But, yeah. Ugh. Um, so, I think, you know, I think people should start to ask questions of them. Um, at the end yeah. of the day, I think also, you know, there is, there's a lot of virtue signaling, right? And so this yes. is, this is yes. the association. <laughs> Can they actually do something about it? No. I mean, do yeah. they, as a superintendent, have the force of law to overturn the governor? No. Yeah. Um, and so that's, I think, I think it was sort of just like a little bit of sound and noise. Um, yeah, but the Virginia Department of Education, um, the doctor, I forget her name, mm -hmm. she has the power to dismiss the superintendent of a school that she doesn't agree with, correct? I am not 100% positive about that, because every state is different, and I am trying to do yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> but um, definitely the school boards do. And so, I mean, I, I would not be surprised if some downstate districts, um, because, you know, the superintendents always try to give out the impression that they run the show. Yeah. They are they are accountable to the school board. And so, yeah. you know, we saw in, um, was it Spotsylvania County, where they, this school board fired their superintendent. And yes. so, you know, we, we there's, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we start to see some house cleaning with some of these superintendents um, well, later we, on. we have house cleaning and lab <laughs> ongoing yeah. right now. Um, but anyway, thank you. Yeah, no, they're 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 bad actors. And I mean, yeah. actually, one thing related to the National School Board Association, um, no one really knew that a week before that letter went to the uh, to President Biden, the American Association of Superintendents did a joint letter with the National School Board Association saying we're very concerned about violence and threats at school yeah. in yeah. schools. And so two weeks ago, I sent FOIAs to every single board member of the Superintendent Association. 
and figuring out, you know, what did you say about this? And did you talk to Catherine Lehman? And did you talk to Kristen Clark? And did you talk to Merrick Garland or Cardona? Like, what was what is sort of the genesis of this? Because you guys have flown under the radar, and you are just as bad, if not worse, than the school board association. So, wow. TBA, a lot of them yeah. are dragging their feet. I was trying yeah. to file like, an appeal with the district this morning because yeah. <laughs> ignoring my FOIAs. But, oh, okay. um, well, that's yeah. good. Glad someone's helping. Yeah, no, they're, they're bad guys. And you know what? It's, 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 there's a target-rich environment. There's a lot of bad guys out there, but... You know, the good thing is that they're all, when, they're, when, they, work for, when they work for each school district and work for the state, those, they're, they're state actors, they're state employees. So their, their correspondence, their text messages, their emails, you know, you guys can get them. I encourage all of you to get it. It's lots of fun. Yeah. Um, you know, and they will try and throw barriers and they'll try and say, oh, you know, well, it's, it's going to take so long. It's going to take, you know, I'll take, yeah. I'll take email copies. I'll take double-sided, um, you know, give them a narrow date range, give them a set of search terms. But get out there and start digging because, I mean, there is gold to be had. <laughs> Yes. Cora Wack, I am the assistant to the Vice President of Flex for Promotion, Bridget Wagner at Heritage. Um, I just had, you talked a lot about how this is a problem that is very widespread mm -hmm. and that you didn't realize how widespread it was until um, recently. But I'm wondering, because I talked to some of my friends who attended public school and they're kind of like, I don't know, I, I thought it was okay, like, none of this stuff that we're hearing about now. Um, but, you know, you hear the horror stories, and I think, I don't know, is this, is this really everywhere? Or are these cases just kind of all concentrated in, in big cities with, like, liberal mayors and stuff? Um, because I went to private school my whole life, and I, I didn't really know public school, and now I hear all about this, so I'm like, oh, is this something I would even want to consider, like, sending my kid to in the future? And I'm just... I want to hear a little bit more about how widespread throughout America this is and how concentrated it is. Yeah, I mean, we have on our on our website. I mean, we have we have tips in all fifty states. So definitely, it's everywhere, right? I mean, it's just as if there are things in Texas, just like yeah. there are things in New York State. Um, and again, yeah, I mean, private schools. Like we had a bunch of stuff out of um, a, a Jesuit school in the Chicago suburbs, and so you know, it, again, it's a, it's in parochial schools too. Um, I think you know. The Southern Poverty Law Center says they have 500,000 educators within their network for their teaching tolerance program. You don't build up numbers like that after George Floyd. You are working at building numbers like that for 40 years. Um, and so there has been a really significant, long-standing effort to put some of this into schools for a long time. Um, so I think, you know, it's, it's coming from a lot of places. So it's, you know, that's sort of the reason we can't, there's not like one kill shot on this. Again, domestic terrorist, obviously, I have to use terms like that. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, it's, there are some crazy teachers. Some of you might have seen that the Twitter account lives of TikTok. I mean, some of these people, and they're unabashed about it. You know, you can't watch me eight hours a day with your child. I mean, some, they're proud about what they're doing. You know, they feel that it is their mission to deprogram children from the values that they have at home. You, you gross Catholics with your belief in traditional marriage. Ugh. Um, so, so there's there's yeah. the teachers that are crazies, and some of them are getting that from their teacher. They're teaching colleges, um, yeah. schools of education, right, where they're getting that. Um, some of the districts, it's in their professional development programs. I mean, my kids like are in school, like they're, they're off of school like twice a month for professional development yeah. days. Yeah. And so they have this stuff fed to them, the teachers do, as part of their kind of ongoing training that they need. Mm -hmm. um, some of it's coming from the school boards, like we saw in Fairback County. Some of it's coming from the state, um, you know, New York, New York State, State of California, California's Healthy Youth Act. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's, it's kind of coming from all over. Um, and so I think you might be and I, I mean, we have a ton of information out of Florida, even. I mean, Florida's a great governor. They have very active, you know, tons of local parent groups, great school choice. And there are still problems there, too. I mean, uh, Katie and I met a woman on uh, Tuesday who 
her daughter was transitioned behind her back. She had no idea. You know, they, yeah. again, schools yeah. maintaining these different sets of medical records. And it's, it's all done in the name of safety, right? We want to keep the children safe. I mean, you try to keep my kids safe from me? Yeah. Dare you? How dare you make that implication? Um, and so it's, it is, unfortunately, it is everywhere. But, you know, it's that saying the price of liberty is eternal vigilance. I think people are now realizing that it probably is here, and if it's not here, then I need to keep an eye on things so that if, it, if we start to see smoke signals, that we can nip that in the bud. Um, and there have been successes. I mean, I, I, I try very hard to not, I mean, I don't want to just tell sob stories and horror stories to parents and crush their spirits and have people, you know, pull their kids out into the woods. Um, there have been little victories. I mean, you know, parents that have gone to their school board and said, I don't want this diversity contractor in our district. You know, what can we, you know, can we cancel this? Like, can we just redirect these, these funds? And some districts had said, I had no idea people didn't like this. Yeah, okay, yeah, cool, great, done. Um, you know, we have seen recalls. We have seen new school, new people elected. And so, you know, that the tide is shifting. It's not going to happen overnight, but, I mean, there is real commitment to affecting change and organizations being built. I was talking to somebody um, about two weeks ago. He said, we want to help the newly elected school boards um, have the programming they need because, you know, they'll talk to their school, the district general counsel will say, we well, have to have transgender bathrooms. And they need, they need countervailing legal advice. Um, and so, you know, the fact that new organizations are, are being uh, created to, to fill this void, I think, is very exciting. So it's a very dynamic space. One more question. Sure. Okay. One more. Yep. One more. One more. <laughs> Next month we'll have a mighty week of passion. Hi. I'm Elizabeth Hensley. I worked for more years than I'd like to say in human resources and organization development and saw such a shift over in the past years to DEI and mm -hmm. actually left because of that because I couldn't take it any longer. But what do you think? So it's so prevalent, you know, what you're seeing in the school system and it sounds like all the players are involved in this major strategy. So what's the end game? Why are they doing Because it's clearly doing damage, but it's it's benefiting someone, it's benefiting a cause. What do you see as the end game for all of this in the school? Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't want to be conspiratorial, right? You know, we definitely, we have friends yeah. that are like, you know, this is like the critical race theory is, you know, Marxist origins, and like, and yes, like there definitely is an overlay of that. I mean, I was yeah. telling my husband who is like, you know, bless his heart, it was, I said, you know, well, there, there's this pe people who are working on abolition educate, abolitionist education. He's like, why do you not want them to learn about Harriet Tubman? I was like, that's not it. Like, abolitionist yeah. education is this kind of gaslighting term where we want to abolish society, right? We want to abolish, we want to defund the police. We want to do all these things. We want to, you know, defund and delegitimize capitalism and all these crazy things. And so I think there, there is an element of that, um, right? We want to reprogram, you know, there is, it's a money grab, it's a power grab, um, and if we can get your children very onto the gender ideology train, if we can get your kids very into the identity politics thing, then it's easier to redirect people's resources, tax, you know, tax dollars, get them to vote a certain way, um, and so it, it kind of keeps their gravy train going. Um, and you know, we're, we are kind of like, we're, we are the watchers on the wall, right? We're the ones who have to protect our family because they don't have our children or our family's best interest at heart whatsoever. Um, and so it's, yeah, it, it's, it's daunting because there are so many bad guys, but at the end of the day, you know, we have the majority of the American people on our side. Not everybody, because, we, you know, we still did see, you know, Arlington and Fairfax and Loudoun still vote, you know, higher than I would like for McAuliffe, but, you know, our work's cut out for us, but I think, I think we will win. I think we'll win, too. <laughs> <laughs> the work you're doing is so wonderful, helping parents. I like when you said we... Teach them smart, get smart quickly. <laughs> parents are so busy, yeah. you know, working and families and caring for their parents and their children and all. So 
a wonderful service that you're doing, and uh, we're so grateful to you for coming, for telling about it, and a lot of people will be watching this uh, and learning about it, and I have a gift for you. See that book? <laughs> I have a signed copy for you. Oh, thank you. You have a I daughter. Have, I have a daughter. daughter yeah. And uh, I'm sure you could write a lot of what's in here, but the reason I wrote this is after 29 years at Clairvaux Lewis, primarily working with young women in college, we do CWN, we love doing this as well. But people would say to me, where do you, how do these young women get to college and they're smart and they're gracious and they're uh, courageous and they're conservative? And I noticed over the years things that went on in their lives, things that their parents, their grandparents, people that work with them did mm -hmm. to help them. And so I wrote a book, it's called How to Raise a Conservative Daughter. And uh, as I said, you probably know a lot of what's in here but I inscribed it to you. I give it to you with my thanks. Thanks. And um, it's so special to have you for our first uh, time back after two years. Oh, it's such an honor. Thank As you. usual, we have a lunch for you. And because this was our first resumption after two years, I made you all a chocolate cake last time. Oh. Oh. I made it. Cut the pieces small. You can all have it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. What a wonderful talk. Thank you.